Would you open God's precious holy word to Proverbs 9? This is the end of the first section of Proverbs. It sort of reflects back upon all of the instruction that uh, has come before. And it also presents what I consider to be a grand climax of all of the teaching previous to this ninth uh, chapter. So let's look at it. First of all, consider the wholesome invitation that comes from wisdom. Remember, wisdom here is personified as a, as a lady, as a woman. And here's the invitation. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Let me stop there and say here in verses one through six, we have, and we get this because of the whole context of, of Proverbs 9. This is the cry of wisdom that comes from the temple of Yahweh. There's a contrast here, of course, between wisdom and folly. And a contrast between the temple of the Lord and pagan temples. And we'll see here as we go along how this works itself out. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mingled her wine. She has even set her table. She has sent her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The one lacking understanding, she says to him. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mingled. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. So everything now is coming to rest upon this invitation. It goes back to the main theme, which is the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding. It all starts here. You can never work out the right way to live and the right path to follow that brings peace and comfort and prosperity and all those other things. You can never have that, nor can you understand it until first you have come to Yahweh. Now, in that day, in Solomon's day, of course, Solomon is the one who was responsible for building the temple. In, in that day, the temple was the place where, where the people of God understood there was the presence of God. They understood that the presence of God was in the temple and the true worship of God would be at the temple. And there were certain times of the year that people were required to be there. They couldn't do all of the things all the time if they were out living way out, but there were times they had to be there. And God's people understood there were, there were priests, Levites, who lived in various areas across the nation. So they were there for instruction, instruction in, uh, in understanding the law, understanding the rituals of the law, the sacrifices, the meaning of the sacrifices, 
and to help people prepare for uh, the, the, the worship rituals that would go on. So this is, this is something that was well known. It was common in, in the place where Solomon was king. Wisdom is personified as that which is there, not like a resident as Yahweh is resident, but exists there because if you will remember back a couple of chapters ago, wisdom taught how in God's act of creation, in the initiation of creation, God brought forth wisdom. The the understanding is that God has provided for man a way for success and peace, a peaceful life and a prosperous life in this world if we would just pay heed to it. So this all comes out, you know, I, I think I told you then at that point in time that God also in the creation, God divided light from darkness and saw the light that it was good. So at that point, God would have divided that which was good from that which was evil. God defined righteousness. God defined what was good. And everything that wasn't good, of course, is evil. God also defined, and it's closely related to light and dark, God also defined wisdom and separated it from folly. Anything else that wasn't wisdom was foolishness. And it, it ended in destruction. The way of wisdom ends in life and prosperity and peace and, and so forth. But the way of foolishness goes the other direction. And there have been more than one time where the teacher teaching the lad made that known, made the young man to understand there's, there's life and there's death. So here, wisdom is closely associated with, with the temple and the worship, <coughs> the rituals, the worship in the temple. Verse six, forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. I can only really speak for myself, but it is such a simple thing for me to contrast good from evil. I've, I was brought up reading the Bible. My daddy was a preacher. I grew up, whether I liked it or not, I grew up going to church. Uh, I had to be there. I was in Sunday school. Many of those years, my mother was my Sunday school teacher. And I had the little book that I had to read about the lesson and study and all those things. I just grew up that way. Read through the Bible the first time when I was 16 years old, all the way through the Bible. 
and then have been doing it ever since. Here's my point. I can attest to the truth that the Word of God is living. It's alive. It's a living thing. And it divides the soul from the spirit. Now, every time, this is my experience, and I've heard others say the same thing, every time I've read through the Bible the next time, I got something new out of it. I was strengthened. It's kind of like lifting weights or something. You know, you, you go back to the gym enough, you add a few plates onto that barbell, and you're growing in your strength. Well, really without realizing it, I suppose, through life, I came to a, a deeper and greater understanding of things. And you get to a point in life as a disciple of Christ and a serious student of the word where it's a very simple thing to see the contrast between good and evil. It's a, it's a, it's a simple thing because one develops a biblical worldview. It's a simple thing to contrast Morality from immorality. Now, the world will define these things differently. We live in an age, of course, where the world is defining morality and righteousness, all defining it completely differently from the way the Bible defines it. But the Bible has never changed in its teachings and its definitions of these things, morality and, and, and good and evil, light and dark. Wisdom is saying, verse four, first of all, you have to recognize the truth that you need instruction. You can't, <laughs> you, you can't just start out in life thinking that you know it all. People do that and they fail. That's easy failure right there. So the simple invitation is, verse 4, recognize the fact that you need understanding. You're simple and you lack understanding. But if you'll come in here and you'll learn the truth of the Lord, the ways of the Lord, forsake foolishness, then you'll live and you will go in the way of understanding. In, in the time of the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel, back in the 8th century or so B.C., the capital was Samaria. The northern kingdom of Israel could not be a theocracy because there can only be one theocracy, and that theocracy was the southern kingdom of Judah. That is where the son of David sat on the throne in Jerusalem, and that is where the temple existed. So you can't have two temples, you can't have two God-ordained kingly lines. There's only one, that was the son of David, the, the, the Davidic line, and there's only one true worship, and Yahweh would only be at the temple. But in the northern kingdom, the people came from a background as 10 of the 12 tribes. They had as a background and in their culture the, the truth of God, the, the law of God. They understood these things. 
Now, they, in, later on in their history, they tried to twist and pervert those things to suit their own agenda, their own culture that they were, or a culture that was mixed with the world. But they had a beginning as 10 of the 12 tribes of, of literally being the people of Israel, the people of the Lord. Now, fast forward then to the demise of the northern kingdom and Hosea the prophet was sent to that northern kingdom to confront them with their sin. In, here are, here's a nation literally founded on, on the truth that they are of the elect of God in the sense that there are 10 of the 12 tribes. But then might, military might, economic prosperity, these things came their way. As a matter of fact, in Hosea's prophecy, the Lord says through Hosea, I increased them. I gave them what they had. And the more they were increased, the more they sinned against me. So in that, that's probably around chapter four, but in Hosea, the Lord says through the prophet, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They forsook Bible study, if you want to put it in a simple, straightforward vernacular. They just, they, they forsook the word of God. They didn't seek to be taught the word of God anymore. It was just something that was utterly unimportant to them. And finally, they were destroyed by the Assyrians of that day. A very cruel very cruel nation. And God raised up that nation to judge the northern kingdom of Israel. Here's the point. They forsook the way of understanding the true worship of Yahweh. They tried to create a perverted form of worship. As a matter of fact, if you look at it and study it, you will see that the best they could do was take a lot of what was in the temple and try to remake it with a little mixture of this, of this pagan practice and that pagan practice. And it was just an awful thing. So then the time comes where the people are just oblivious to worship, to understanding the word of God and they become immoral. And then, then through immorality, they became perverted. And then they became violent. So that they, they violently attacked one another. Blood touches blood, the prophet said, of the people of that day. You and I have the benefit the privilege of being able to look back and see the history of those people, especially the Northern Kingdom. And we can see what it is when a culture forsakes the way of God, the way of understanding, the way of wisdom, the true worship of Yahweh. We can see that in what destruction. 
It is foretold. It hasn't happened yet because Solomon is still a king. He is a king over a yet undivided nation. Now, because of his sin, uh, his, his son suffers the division of the kingdom, but not Solomon. So there's a, there's a foundation laid here that people need to start out in life understanding, or I won't say understand, they need to start out in life with a view to the truth that they are not knowledgeable enough to stand against the world. The world is a very strong and powerful and magnetic spiritual force of darkness that seeks to destroy people. It seeks to destroy cultures. It seeks to destroy nations. Here, the cry from the temple personified in the lady wisdom is everything is ready for you here. The call is a public call. Come into this place and begin to learn. When you begin to learn, you will, you will receive wisdom and you will have understanding. And thus your life will be a well-balanced and successful life for people. Have to forsake foolishness so that you can live and then go in the way of understanding. But wisdom has to acknowledge in her instruction of people that there are differences between those who scoff at the thing, they scorn the rejectors, the, those and those who are the wise. So let's look at it. He who corrects a scorner or a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. <coughs> Do not correct a scorner or a scoffer. I tell you, I get so fast on that typing, I left out my O when I translated that thing. Verse 8, Do not correct a scorner or, or a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. So God makes a difference between people. Here's what he says. Those who scoff at what you're trying to do and they laugh at you for, if, for being a Bible person, for being a church person, whatever. They laugh at you. They're headed for shame. If you don't see this up front, you're going to find yourself wasting your time and harming yourself. So how then should the teacher spend his time teaching those who are responsive? Teaching those whose hearts are open. Here's what he says then. Don't correct them. They'll hate you. You're not going to, you know, it's just this way. And I've learned this in nearly 50 years of church ministry. When people have a heart 
and an attitude that is given over to scorn and, and uh, dislike and bitterness and hatred. About all you can do is pray for them, but if you spend your time chasing after them, you'll find that they'll only turn more and more against you. You just pray for them and you turn to those who will listen. Even Jesus said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So, don't chase after these people. Spend your time developing those who are there wanting to be developed. If you rebuke a wise man, he's going to love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. Now you see, that flies in the face of a lot of modern theology. But it goes back to the truth that Almighty God is absolutely sovereign. If you teach the wise man who will listen to you, we can, we can imagine here a little bit. Maybe that guy will be the one whose words can reach someone that your words don't reach, but you have to live in a world of spiritual reality. You have only one life, and, you, and, and, and the Lord gifts you and resources you and me to do what is most beneficial for the kingdom. You remember the uh, Christ spoke parables about those things, you know, one guy took his money and invested it, and it grew. The final guy just buried it. He didn't do anything with it. And whatever he had, he had to surrender to the one who had the most. It's just a, it's just a spiritual truth, the importance of discernment in teaching people about the issues of life and developing people in their citizenship of the kingdom of God. So, so the point is here, there is a difference between scoffers and those who are wise. There's a difference. Understand the difference. And then move according to those differences. Now, here the theme that we saw early on is repeated, but there's, there's something extra here. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh, and the knowledge of the holy ones is understanding. Now, I think the king, I don't know, some of them translate that word as holy one, and they do it in the singular. It's not in the singular. I've studied this for four or five days. It's, it's in the plural. Knowledge of the holy ones is understanding. I suppose if you take the Septuagint, the Greek form, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the word would be, the word would be saints or something like that. Now, there's all kinds of debate about exactly what is being said here. 
But you can study this thing in any way that you want to because you should really approach it in every way. Number one, take Hebrews 11, for example. Hebrews 11 is a summary of Old Testament saints. By faith, so-and-so did thus-and-so. By faith, this person did this. And it goes on down, and in Hebrews 12 it says, and you have, to, you have to do away with chapter and verse divisions because the whole thing should be considered. <laughs> so you move right out of chapter 11 <clears throat> into chapter 12. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, what is the encouragement here, or at least the understanding of those Hebrews who were turning into, coming into Christianity in that early day of the church? What's the purpose of that chapter 11 in Hebrews? It's for them to reflect on the lives of those people in the Old Testament and see how God worked in their lives and how their lives reflected the faithfulness that they had toward God by doing what God had equipped and sent them to do. Whether it was, you know, whether it was Noah or Abraham or even Sarah is in there and some of the prophets are listed. They, their faithfulness, the, the work of God was such that it traveled through their lives and out into the world in a positive way. Maybe, maybe King Solomon is referring to the patriarchs, uh, their lives, the knowledge of the holy ones is understanding. In a New Testament sense, I mean, maybe he's talking about the triune God, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Here's the point. We should seek to understand all of those things and see how it applies to our lives. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh, and the knowledge of the holy ones is understanding. For by me... Your days will be multiplied and they will add to your years of life. That's wisdom. The wisdom that comes forth from what is described here is the temple, but the worship of the true and living God and the instruction that comes forth. We're in the book of Exodus on Sunday nights and before long, we're going to get into the, the outfittings of the tabernacle. The care that Yahweh took to designate to the smallest details the way Moses was to build the tabernacle. How big is it supposed to be here? How big should it be there? What kind of material should be used here? What kind of material should be used there? And so forth. And the reason is the whole thing reflects the purpose of God through redemption personified in the Messiah. And we'll, God willing, if he gives us that time, we'll study those things when we get to that part in the book of Exodus. Now, here, this, this wisdom and this knowledge brings understanding. When people, that was what the Levitical priesthood was for in the, in the tabernacle and later the temple. 
They were to assist people in performing the rituals and the sacrifices, but also to assist them in their understanding of those things. Naturally, as it developed in the Old Testament, the doctrine of the Christ, the doctrine of the Messiah, the truth was that, you know, the first thing you'd go through would be those, the labor of cleansing, the bronze altar, the, the brazen altar and all that. That's because the farther out away from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies you were, the less valuable was the metal. You get closer to man, the more you get to brass. It moves from there to silver, some of the things that you hung the, hung the curtains with, silver, which of course is, is, it designates redemption. But then from there, right on into gold. And the Ark of the Covenant was wood covered with gold. Manhood who is also a man, who, can, who is also deity, you understand? Inside of which was the law itself. Well, anyway, well, I'm not, that's not my purpose now to teach the book of Exodus. But here, when one goes to the temple, that same thing would have been carried over into the temple from the tabernacle. And Solomon was designated to be the one to build the temple. David was the man of war. So he couldn't build the temple. He wanted to, but he, he paid for everything and found the place where it would be built. But he wouldn't be the one to build it. It would be Solomon, the man of, a man of peace, which is the root of his name means peace. Now, the cry is for people to come in and learn these things. You know, the greatest thing that a person can learn about himself is that in the presence of God left to himself, he's depraved. He's a sinner. He has nothing. There's no righteousness within him. There's nothing. You go into the tabernacle, that's the first thing. You have to make a sacrifice. You have to take something that is sinless. And, you, and, and then the, the worshiper would have to symbolically transfer his guilt and his sin to the sacrifice that otherwise had been sinless and without blemish, without spot. And it, and it would, of course, go from there. And there were certain sacrifices in certain days, and especially the Yom Kippurim, the Day of Atonement, when uh, the priest, that's the only time of the year, he could go into the Holy of Holies and make the great sacrifice for the people. Now, put that in the temple here, and this is the cry of the temple. You, don't, you can't do anything unless you know yourself. You can't know yourself unless you let the one who created you explain to you who you are and what you need. So this is, this is where it starts. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh. And then study the holy ones. Learn to know the holy ones, which brings understanding and then find that your life will be a life of longevity, of peace, of prosperity. So now here's what I call an antithetic summary. Verse 12, if you have become wise, you have become wise for yourself. 
And if you scorn, you will bear it alone. There's, there's nothing left for the scorner, for the scoffer. He has to bear everything about himself upon himself. Wisdom, however, brings something very positive into a person's life. Finally, the fatal invitation of foolishness. Now, this is the contrast to the temple of Yahweh. Here is a pagan temple. Pagan temples, the worship of pagan temples, generally was built on uh, fertility. There was, a, there was a god and a consort goddess, and it, it was built on, uh, on procreation, uh, sexual activity, and all this was included in the worship, you see. So there were, there were temple prostitutes, and, and uh, the call of their worship was just, was just an awful and, and horrific uh, behavior that was very attractive to the world. People could do that kind of thing in the name of worship, but it wasn't really worship. It was death. So here it is. A foolish woman is turbulent, raucous, loud. A loud, boisterous woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door, she sits at the door of her house on a seat, the highest places of the city. Again, high hill, public call, everybody who'll listen. It's a personification of a pagan temple, but it could, it could be seen, realized in the cry of temple prostitutes. Paul admonished the Corinthians, I think. He, he said, you know, women shouldn't shave their heads and men shouldn't wear their hair real long. And why he said that was because temple prostitutes, the male prostitutes, sought to be effeminate. They were, they were homosexual. And, and the female prostitutes would shave their heads to appear to be power and this was a thing that would attract, I don't know why, but it was, people could look at somebody and say, oh, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like in a bathroom stall of a truck stop for a good time call, you know. So here's, here they are. For a good time, follow the woman with a shaved head or, or whatever. Here's the cry. The temple prostitutes, this is how they serve their God. Loud, boisterous, and foolish. Sitting there in the high place, everybody who goes by, calling them to come in, to call the passers-by who go straight on their ways. Let the simple one turn in here. And whoever lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
but he does not know that the dead are there. That's an interesting word. It could be translated the shades. It's like a spooky thing. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. To veer into that temple and to respond to this invitation would be to perhaps find, find pleasure for a brief season, but it ends in death. It ends in Sheol, which is a Hebrew word for hell, the netherworld of the wicked dead in the Old Testament. This is where her calling. What, the contrast of one, the temple of Yahweh, the contrast there to learn the ways of Yahweh and live or to foolishly collapse into the ways of the foolish woman and die. So we'll stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.